And I'm sorry for being epic bacon. Ooh. <laughs> Wait, who's Destiny? Destiny is a streamer, a la Vouch, but he is the same exact opinions on everything as Vouch, but he calls himself a uh, liberal. Um, he is famous. I've only heard of him uh, from one incident where he was like really mad during the BLM protest because he thought the protests were being derailed by like Black Bloc. And he was saying that uh, he's like, mm. at this point, the rioting needs to stop. The looting needs to stop. I hope some right wingers come and mow down these fuckers. Like this needs to stop. This needs to end. Like getting really angry about it. It's you know mm. they're fucking debate. There's like a whole community of debate. Yeah, people. debaters. They want to be be a debater. <laughs> Remember that? Remember the Pixies? No. Who who are they? That just reminds me of like being in high school. Uh, when I was in high school, I listened to Minor Threat. <laughs> My friend who dated your friend when we were in high school mm-hmm. um, almost got a Pixies tattoo, and I'm really happy she didn't. I knew I knew a girl in high school that got a. I think I dated a girl with a Pixies tattoo. <laughs> really? I yeah. When I was in high school, I had a um, older girlfriend uh who oh wait i did know this yes who yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, would pick me up in her new car every day after school and drive me <laughs> she, her parents or she said that her dad was like a, the muffin king of sacramento but <laughs> that's right <laughs> uh and she she was like part of some like native american tribe which i thought was fake because i it was like pacheco and i thought it was i thought she was just heard the word pachinko and thought i maybe hadn't heard that and was using that but it turns out it was real and uh, she got some like twenty k a month from the government, and so little little Brace Belden was spending his weekends in uh, the Four Seasons Suite. And I would invite my shithead friends over, and they just like it was not like nothing I've ever been in before. Um, and uh, yeah, I loved. It. Anyways, I think she had a pixie tattoo. We're back. We're back. Uh, I have Here we some, are again. I have some big news. Uh oh. Yeah. Well, no, it's not for it's not for me to tell people. I just have it. Oh. I'm keeping it close <laughs> to the chest. No, it's that's true. Like your go-to joke. No, it's Liz. It's true. Here, listen. I'll tell you. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> Bleep that part. <laughs> See, pretty big, huh? Pretty oh big. God. Yeah, I think you he's think lying. You think you're so funny. I mean, you laughed, baby. Here's the <laughs> thing. Here's the thing. Women always say stuff like, oh, you think you're so funny. You think you're so clever. But then they laugh anyway. So it's like, yes, you're literally reinforcing the thing yeah, that that's you're... that's the bit. That's <clears throat> the whole thing. It's like, ha ha, you think you're so funny. But of course, you know, I think you're funny. And it's very charming. It's like a cute little back and forth. Wait. Oh, I've just been getting really insulted by that when women say it. <laughs> they were trying to do like a cute thing. All right. Hello. Welcome, everyone. This is True and On. Hello. Right? Wait. I, did I mess? I messed that up. Le, this I, is. No, do? no. So wait, we do an accents, baby. This is. Oh, we are? Uh, oh, we. <laughs> that's the only. That's the. You're going to get a lot of mileage. That's the only out French of that. word. Uh, je m'appelle Liz. 
Whoa, uh, Jim Appel, Brace Le Beldin Irino. And we are joined by Jim Appel Young Chomsky, who is Jim Appel producing this podcast, which is Je L'Appel Chewing On. Yeah, Voyanon. Okay, Voranon? All right, well, if you haven't figured out already, which you probably haven't because we haven't said anything about it, we are, uh, it's French week mm-hmm. here on True Anon. Apparently, that's a thing. Week? Yeah, why not? I don't know. Okay, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, this is actually, uh, this is a week's worth of episodes right here. <laughs> we're doing another episode this week, but consider that a bonus episode. So even okay. though we're just doing two this week, we're actually technically doing three. That's called a French trio. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, that's a French that's a, that's no, a French a, quad. It's a menage a trois. Come on. It was right there. Uh, it's never been right there for me, but keep going. <laughs> well, Bruce and I have both. We both are wearing berets. Mm-hmm. I have a baguette in my arm. Mm-hmm. I'm racist. Some... <laughs> and I'm anti-Semitic. And together, we are French. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, why are we talking about the French? Uh, good question. <laughs> you... qu- I've been asking that for the past four days and you haven't been able to tell me. I don't even know what the episode is about. You just sent me a bunch of French words. <laughs> um, I don't know if people are aware, but there's like a mass uh, rash, we'll mm-hmm. say, rash of protests going on right now in France. And I guess you could, sometimes you could basically say that just any day of the week of the year yeah yeah that's that's uh that's very true i mean that's actually usually when people mention that there are protests in france i believe you have even said to me before well the french are always protesting and it's true they like being out in the streets because it's cold and rainy and the boulevards are wide i mean they're very good at it yeah no oh yeah they're fantastic um but they are there are like i mean it's surprising because you know there's a confinement policy now in france right Mm -hmm. which is very strict It's very, very strict. I think um, there's like phases that I don't totally understand because all the news is in French Mm -hmm. and I don't read. Oh, we should say that, by the way, Brace and I don't speak French. No. And we shall be butchering basically every French word that we say. So I looked up the statistics. You know, I'm a numbers guy. Uh, Mm. And we have 95% of our listeners are from... um, France. And so mm. I understand that this is going to be a kind of a heavy episode for a lot of people, but I just want you to leber with us. Um, <laughs> because I, like Liz was saying, there's protests this week because one of sort of the most important French sex criminals in history has finally been caught. <laughs> and he's been running around. He's just, he's these two white stripes on his back, or excuse me, covered in black paint you can't see the white stripes on his back and he is the most prolific rapist in french history finally he's been caught and killed by a trio of tabby cats uh who were deputized by the french intelligence agency also unfortunately former nazis they're very old cats and uh and they've killed pepe Le Pew. hey we can spend the rest of our lives making love <laughs> Well, that was very cute. But that's not actually why mm-hmm. the French uh, have been protesting and breaking confinement. Actually, there was um, a pretty brutal incident of, uh, like, just like a, you know, if you know anything about the French police, this shouldn't come as a surprise. Mm-hmm. But, like, even by their standards, a pretty egregious, uh, basically in-home beating of 
a resident in Paris. Yeah, th- th- it's it's interesting to note because this is a uh, you know I love this word that Liz actually invented back in 1998, intersectional sort of incident. Because it, it sort of goes across a bunch of different things. It, it crosses through French, uh, you know, police and societal racism, but also masked stuff and how the police are fucking psycho. So we're getting a lot of different things here. But this uh, this this black rap producer uh, named uh, Michelle and again, forgive us, but I won't preface any more names with saying that Michelle Zeckler was walking towards his studio without a mask on in Paris. Now, I'm sure many of you here in America walk around without a mask all the time, either because land of the free. mm -hmm, I just did it right now because, you know, you're on the street. Maybe there's nobody around. You know, Mm. I'm not coughing on anybody or nothing. Anyways, Uh, but in Paris, I mean, that's a big fucking crime. Yeah, le no no. Mm-hmm. That's actually it's that that's the statue is le no no, and he sees a police car with police in it. And he says, "Oh shit!" You know, I don't want to get this big fucking fine. And so he goes into the studio. Three, co- you mean you might think like, okay, you know, these cops are mad at maybe seeing this guy without a mask. They're gonna find him. They're like, okay, he goes in the studio. He's not outside without a mask anymore. We can go back to doing police state stuff elsewhere. No, they follow him in the studio. And, they basically uh, break down the door <laughs> to get into the studio. It's pretty incredible footage. You can look up the video online because mm-hmm. it turns out that there was a security camera in his studio yes. that caught all of this, which is another reason why this incident has taken like wildfire through France. I mean, they beat the shit out of him. I mean, Liz, you've seen. Yeah, I know you don't generally like watching stuff like this, but you have. No, I mean, no way likes turn it, it off. Actually, it is insane. It's like you mm. think they're gonna stop doing it. And then they just keep beating the shit out of him. And according to him, there's no audio, I don't believe, in the video. Mm -mm. um, But they are, and I I definitely believe this, just calling him the N-word and beating the shit out of him. Yeah, whatever the French is for that. Yeah. uh, I think it's a universal word. Yeah, yeah. And and so there was other people at the studio, I think like around nine or ten people. They come out of recording wherever they are, and they're like watching their this producer get the shit beat at him by batons by three giant police officers. They actually get the cops outside. The cops bust tear gas through the windows, guns drawn, threatening to shoot, get these guys outside, and arrest all ten of them. Yeah. I mean, it's like pretty crazy. You could see um, a bunch of them wouldn't go on camera for interviews, mm-hmm. which is very interesting, but also not, I mean, totally understandable at the yeah. same time. Um, but the guy, uh, Michel Zeclair, like did go on camera and, and also like showed foot, like uh, photos of him when he was at the hospital. Like his face is unrecognizable. Yeah. It's just, it's like literally like smashed to it. It's like, like on the side of his face is on the side of his face. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's, it's massive, you know, it, it's like ballooned outwards. He's got that really, you know, he's got the eyelids that like, you know, when people get bashed in them, they just sort of mm. grow. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It's and- really awful. And like this, like I was saying this whole, the, because the thing was like the whole beating, which lasted a really uncomfortably long time. Yeah. Uh, like, because it was on video, it gets leaked and it's all over social media. Um, like everyone is sharing it. It's on all over the French news. Um, even like Mbappe, the French uh, soccer player who's very famous, he like retweeted it and it just like became 
um, this this huge national story to the point that like Macron had to comment on it even. Yeah, well, I will say Macron did say one thing. He said he didn't want to call it police brutality because that's a what in his terms a politicized uh, pair of words. Uh, but but yeah, he was forced to comment on it, and as we'll illustrate, it's very difficult to get Macron to comment on much. But this this and a really really also brutal attack on a migrant camp in Paris. Mm by the police uh, has spurred a sort of series of protests and some pretty big ones. Yeah. And it's the thing that's wild, too, is that it's coinciding with this incredibly controversial bill, Mm -hmm. national security bill that's currently, well, not currently, which we'll get to, but or it's currently in the French parliament being debated. Um, it's called the, I'm not going to say it in French, so it's the law on global security. And it's it's basically covering um, pretty much just domestic policing. And the, the, the like one really uh, controversial piece is called Article 24. And it, I mean, it's pretty nuts. It basically bans um, like publishing any photo that shows the cop's face anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, the actual text of it reads, it bans disseminating by any means or medium whatsoever with the aim of harming their physical or mental integrity, the image or the face or any uh, image of the face or any other identifying element of an officer of the national police or member of the national gendarmerie when acting during a police operation. So this means that, uh, for instance, the video that showed the three cops brutally beating a guy before charging him, by the way, with assault on a police officer, uh, would be illegal because it's essentially a law against doxing. Now, you might wonder, how would a cop who sees someone filming him know that that person has the intent to, quote, harm him with that footage? Well, it's up to the officer to decide. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and this complete. This also covers journalists. Mm-hmm. Like we should to be clear. Like it means anything on social media. It means anything in the papers. Anything in the media. Like that. You. I mean, and the cops. It's pretty crazy. The French police. We'll get into this, but these guys are insane. Like, and the armor that they're wearing, particularly in Paris, which is. I mean, I don't think that it's controversial to call Paris basically a police state mm-hmm. at this point with the presence there. But I mean, they look like Terminator. Yeah. Like so many of them are always wearing fucking like crazy helmets that are tinted so you can't see their faces anyway. They're not supposed to do this, but they've like all ripped off the badges that have their name. Yeah. Like there's no way of identifying any of them. They're just like faceless fucking mercenaries. Like it's, it's pretty... Um, frightening there's a couple other parts of the law and global security too that have people pretty upset one of those is article 21 which complements the following article that allows police to live stream body cameras to command posts or to anywhere else and then article 22 which allows drone surveillance now in america we might be like damn wish we had uh not allowed that basically since its inception here they just don't even propose them as laws they just do them in in america exactly i mean that's the thing is like a cop literally will just arrest you here for filming him like they don't need like a law on that he can just do it and say you were resisting arrest but yeah the 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 law itself was proposed by uh in october by uh mps from En Marche and a couple of small right-wing parties backed by the interior minister this guy darminen I don't know how to pronounce that, but Darmanin. Uh, He said, I had made a promise that it would no longer be possible to broadcast the image of the police and gendarmes on social media. 
that promise will be kept. Yeah, we should say the interior minister, like for our American listeners, is basically like the it's like head cop of the state, mm-hmm. um, responsible for like domestic. I don't know domestic affairs that basically have to do like national domestic security affairs. It's the kind of thing that if it's 1946 and you're in like Czechoslovakia and you want your guys to be in power is you negotiate with a social democratic prime minister for the communist party uh, minister to be the, the interior minister. And then in a couple of years, all good. (laughs) Well, they're also like wanting to use like a bunch of facial recognition technology, Mm -hmm. pushing a bunch of AI. Um, The Macron, uh, presidency is is you know famous for its tech friendly <laughs> policies and trying to basically um i think he's even said like modernize france which is just such a gross yeah <laughs> startup nation the new yes. israel he really is he really is well we'll get to him in a little bit So, I mean, I mentioned that the police in, in France are really crazy. And I just want to, like, really hammer this home because, I mean, I mean, France has gotten, like, UN warnings mm-hmm. for um, the the way that the French police respond, particularly to protests. I mean, that's really what, what um, a, a lot of the domestic incidents are focused on. Um, and there was, like, someone, um, I, I have his name written here, David Dufresne? I can't say his name. I'm so sorry. But he has been really, um, he's like a French journalist and documentary filmmaker. And he's been compiling um, like unofficial because you can't trust the French government to report official numbers. um, But like unofficial, like casualty uh, numbers from police violence, uh, you know, over the past year. And basically, I mean, it's it's pretty nuts. Um, as of like November 30th, 2020, so this is this year, there's four dead, 30 tased, five hands have been blown off, 349 injuries to the head. So that also includes, um, pe- there's been a lot of people who've lost eyes. Mm-hmm. So that's like, that includes that. There's yeah. 29 back Lots injuries. Lots of teeth lost too. Yeah. Um, 82 arm and chest injuries, 137 leg injuries, five genital injuries, um, but like 156 are unidentified, like where the injuries are, um, 204 incidents of police intimidations on journalists covering the protests, uh, total like violation of whatever's left of French freedom of the press. Um, just like some real, I mean, if you look up some of the, f- the footage of, the police beating protesters and some of the injuries that people are suffering it's it's pretty shocking yeah yeah i mean the the french police will just absolutely maul people i mean you know they do it in america too but in france there is a certain like in america they kind of use overwhelming force in, in sort of military style tactics to kind of shock and awe people and push everyone back in france they will just fight you um, yeah. like they'll just go up to you and just beat the shit out of you. I mean, they'll do, again, they'll do that in America too, but like, it's, it's more, much more of a street battle in France. Uh, I will say for their part, the protesters in France also are, uh, much more energetic in their engagements with the police too. uh, mm-hmm. you know, lighting people on fire, uh, you know, beating the shit out of them, which, you know, understandable. And, uh, but, but, but the way the police in, in France act, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, 
I mean, I think a little history maybe of the French police is is in order really quick. The French police are basically um, kind of the cadre that formed the modern uh, French policing came mostly from cops who were police during the Nazi occupation in Vichy, France. And famously, the police in Vichy, France uh, helped deport thousands and thousands of French Jews to concentration camps to die. Also <laughs> deported a lot of French Jews basically in return for making Paris an open city. Uh, a lot of those Nazi cops were kicked out in the immediate aftermath of World War II and then allowed back in in the context of the Cold War. Uh, there's one guy in particular who is uh, a really good indication of, of where a lot of this comes come from. He was a guy named uh, Maurice Papon, and before Andy had served as a collaborationist officer uh, in, in, and helped deportation of Jews alongside the SS in France, later as a police prefect, meaning like a you know like a official in Algeria, and you might remember we've talked about that on the show before. Police in Algeria, uh, notable for pioneering <laughs> tactics that would later be used uh, during during the CIA's time in uh, in in Vietnam. Uh, and basically oversaw a dirty war in Algeria, torturing people, you know, electrocuting them, all that kind of stuff. I mean, the guy was a sick motherfucker. And so, of course, they uh, they put him in charge of the French police, or excuse me, the Paris police in the early 60s. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, well, all right, just start a dirty war here, because that's why they did it. I mean, they brought him in there because there was a lot of, um, you know, Algerian uh, patriots in, in Paris who were, you know, engaging in low-grade, sometimes mid-grade terrorism. And, you know, immediately people start disappearing, drowned in the river, uh, you know, shot in the back of vans and dumped places until this protest. Well, not until, but including this protest in 1961 after after uh, our man here declared a curfew only for Algerians in Paris, which, uh, again, I was a little bit of history of racism in the French police. Mm. Um, uh, I think 30,000 Algerians hold a protest and the French police descend on it like animals uh abduct hundreds of people and throw them out of airplanes uh shoot them in the back of the head at police headquarters and throw them in the river and uh, a lot of people just plain disappear i mean it really reminds people you know reminds people of the uh the dirty war in in argentina and and mm. you know all across south america uh he was also involved in the massacre of a almost a dozen French communists during a demonstration against the OAS, who you might remember from the Spider Network episodes, uh, uh, the next year, and just, I think, shot about a dozen of them. And, of course, most famously involved in the disappearance of Mehdi Ben Barka, uh, which, you know, big part of the Spider Network story. Uh, that is where your French police comes from, essentially. The post-war Nazi international, because yeah. that is where the cadre of this stuff came from. Yeah, I mean, I think just notoriously sick, sick motherfuckers. Oh, yeah. Um, it's funny, I, you know, we were just, we were talking about this before we were recording, and it, I do feel like, I mean, maybe we'll get into this in a second, but after the 95 strike, um, in which the, like, you know, in, like, less than a month, the French people brought down the government, uh, you know, all this kind of backed, like the front, the police and the right wing, they kind of backed off a bit. Mm -hmm. And it's just been like over the past, I don't know what, like a decade and a half, just like slowly encroaching more and more and more. And so like all this stuff has been just building up this, this complete and total, um, like return to this style of policing. 
return to tradition. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. I do want to mention too, before we get into some other stuff, is that like the the French police also have like insane weapons. Yeah, they are they are locked and fucking loaded. Um, it is <laughs> yeah. wild. Liz, Liz, it was very cute. Liz kept asking me like, "What's a shrapnel grenade?" <laughs> and to explain that to her was was a, was a delight. Dude, it's fucked up. I mean, because you look at this vote, these this like footage, and you're like, "Wait a second, this kid was in." you know, a protest, how does he have like fucking like slash wounds on his legs? Like mm-hmm. how are they losing eyes? And it's because the French police literally are throwing tear gas grenades that explode with rubber bullets that fucking go everywhere. Mm-hmm. These are like illegal, like everywhere else in Europe. They're, yeah. they're like not allowed to be used. You know, it's funny. The French actually, my theory on this is the French actually invented this kind of like uh, riot control weapon and uh you know part of macron's whole thing is that the french never invent anything anymore you know they're low on the list of you know europe in total you know not a lot of patents coming from that anymore so he's like well you know there are a thing it's a matter of patriotism and national pride we got to just keep using i mean yeah it's it's a pretty wild weapon you know they have those in 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 uh in grenade launchers and they Mm -hmm. throw them as well uh, they also use a very judicious use of rubber bullets uh, and, and tear gas as well. Yeah. Ugh. It's like, yeah, I encourage you guys to look up some of this shit because it's it's pretty shocking to see. Well, I mean, this was, you know, widely deployed on the yellow vest. I mean, they even called in the army at one point. Um, I mean, that that was the scenes. I don't know if people remember now, but the scenes coming from the yellow vest protest of the uh, of the police, you know, sort of clashing with them were, were just incredibly intense. Yeah, we, you know, the kind of like uh, the pressure has been mounting in France for pretty much the entirety of Macron's presidency. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the protests that are happening now are basically like in continuation with pretty, I mean, pretty much with the Gilets Jaunes has kind of just like poured into the... Um, like into the like French energy over the past couple years. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many people were following that when it was happening, but basically the Gilets Jaunes were, it was kind of like, I wouldn't call it a movement, but it was like a direct protest response to Macron instituting a fuel tax. I mean, it was a, it's a gas tax. Well, okay. Liz, but- Liz, Liz, let's not be <laughs> regressive here. It is an eco tax to encourage a transition to a green, just economy. Oh my God! That's yeah. That's how Macron built it. But bas- but it's really just um, a gas tax, and it, there's or it was already compound. It was compounding like already rising fuel prices. Um, but so it was like September 2018, I think the French the French government announces like further fuel taxes, and all these like guys that live on the periphery of Paris, like in like rural areas of France, like depend on their cars, and a bunch of them are taxi drivers. And they they're like fucking fed up, right? Mm-hmm. They've been squeezed for too long. So they basically like I mean, you know, they descend upon the city of Paris. And I have to say, like, I think they really did freak out the French government. Like, I don't think the Paris government was prepared for that. Well, I mean, the first weekend of protests, I saw estimates that there were about two hundred and eighty thousand people out in total. And what the Gilets Jaunes did, the Gilets Jaunes did, is they occupied roundabouts and toll booths, and then you know later you know met up in the or actually at the beginning too, you know met up at the you know the middle of Paris and and sort of had these massive riots. And a great philosopher once said, "The countryside surrounds the city." 
Mm. And, uh, and, and we really saw that playing out then. And, it, you know, it was, there was a lot of, it was really interesting, rather, to see the media reaction to, to, the, to the Jilly Johns. Mm. Um, yeah, like, even the left media was, like, not, didn't know what to do with it. Because I think, too, like, so, like, the French government's response, they were, like, Macron was really savvy in that, like, how you just said they were trying to pass it off as an eco-tax. Mm-hmm. He basically, like, the French government and the French media was like, oh, these are all climate denier, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're just, like, uh, country hooligans, like, you know, total bumbleheads who don't know anything about about the reality of climate change. And they're all Trump supporters, too, (laughs) which was like, okay. Yeah, it was was really interesting to see, and I, I, I think part of it has to do with, it was a movement that didn't come from sort of established unions or left-wing parties or anything like that. Mm. And as NGOs or NGOs. Yeah. But as a result, (laughs) like, you know, it could be pretty incoherent at times. I remember that was a big, uh, sort of, uh, complaint by, by Macron's regime is that it didn't have any leaders. There was no one to negotiate Mm. with. And, you know, a lot of the organic leaders that came from it that I saw that presented rather in English language media came from a rather, you know, disparate beliefs. Right. And, and there were left wings and right wings of it. Uh, but, but, but overall, I mean, it was a huge movement for a time. I mean, you know, hundreds of thousands later dwindled to tens of thousands. But, you know, they, they engaged in tactics that would be sort of off the table in the U.S., like taking over toll booths and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean, at one point, they, I mean, I think that one of the first things they did was just like completely and totally deface the uh, Champs-Élysées, mm-hmm. which is like, I mean, you know, in Paris, that's like... It, you know, you want to like graffiti all over the Arc de Triomphe. Maybe that sounds maybe not like, you know, that insane to some of our younger listeners. But mm-hmm. like, that's pretty crazy. Well, like they just literally didn't give a fuck. You know, my boy Sean once uh, urinated on the St. Louis Arch. <laughs> yeah. OK, I think you told that that story like last year. Well, what so, I'm uh, saying is it's, you know, people are willing yeah. to go to de- desperate times, call for desperate <laughs> measures sweetheart hey i encourage our listeners to go back to that episode to um, listen to that lovely anecdote so yeah i mean they were going they were they were going hog wild and it took macron quite a while to respond to it even despite like constant images in the media of french police just absolutely brutalizing these oftentimes confused protesters Mm. The thing, too, that, like, wasn't, I mean, not surprisingly, but that, like, wasn't explained in the U.S. media or in, like, any of the Western media was that the reason why Macron was passing these gas taxes was because he had just cut France's wealth taxes. Yes. (laughs) And they needed to raise revenue. Yes. So, like, to be clear, France was, like, before Macron was elected, France was... I think it was like the last government west government in western europe to have wealth taxes mm-hmm. like that hadn't yet been completely demolished by liberal slash right-wing parties in the eu um but macron came in and said no no the french <laughs> shall join europe uh actually he said uh, liz that's a misquote he said no no <laughs> <laughs> I'm really I don't I didn't mean to do that, that was a, was but like quite literally it's the first thing he did yeah. when he was elected um and so the gas tax was his way of uh replacing the revenue lost by the wealth tax well I mean he, he had a really interesting quote which he said uh for every three truck drivers we lose in Nice we'll pick up one Gerard Depardieu in Paris <laughs> yeah 
Oh my god. So it was about seven billion tax in euro, by the way. All these numbers we're throwing out are in Euros. Mm-hmm. Get that through your head, Americans. Uh seven billion euro tax cuts. Uh they including they cut the like French wealth tax by seventy percent and reduced capital gains taxes to a flat rate of thirty percent. This is like pretty it's a pretty deep, deep cut. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, when Macron was running the 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 big like left wing criticism of him was that he was the president he was gonna be the president of the rich or he yes. was he was you know the candidate of the bankers mm-hmm. um and it, it basically like he proved that to be true almost immediately yeah oh yeah i mean he he it's funny is the defense of people in his party which we'll get into in a second uh was always well he did everything he set out to do in his program people were like yeah his program was awful i mean jesus christ <laughs> But it wasn't just the like the wealth taxes, which then brought like which then like spurred the gilet jaune because like Macron continued enacting all these policies, and it's just furthered the kind of the the like massive un- civil unrest that his entire presidency has seen. So last year he announces like big cuts to France's pension program, which we should also mention is one of the last standing in Europe. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, I think a lot of people will be like, well, Brace, haven't you called for pension reform in France before on a bunch of different episodes? And yeah, I have, you know? I, I, I'm, and like, it's, I don't like Macron, but I'm glad he's doing it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and actually those, uh, you know, much to my surprise and disappointment at the fiscal irresponsibility of the French citizens, uh, set off massive strikes. yeah. They're like the biggest strike in French in like modern French history. Well, I don't it's think the longest strike, I think. You know, it's it's funny too. I don't think people I think people think of France as like this heavily unionized country, but mm. France's unions are actually fairly different than they are in a lot of a lot of places. Only about 11% of French workers are actually in unions. Uh but they they do sort of kind of like sectoral bargaining there. Mm-hmm. And so it actually that probably reduces uh, union membership rates, but the contracts essentially cover everybody because they're, they're co- people have these contracts with the whole industry. Uh, unfortunately, that does reduce turnout on strikes because <laughs> the main people that unions are able to mobilize are the members of those unions. Yeah, but like you mentioned, like these things affect everyone, and it's it was sort of wild to watch. These started in December of last year, um, and it it really like spread pretty quickly. It like started with 30 unions um, basically joining to shut down the entire country. I think it was like December 5th. So it's like the light rails and the train, you know, the trains all throughout France. Um, They pretty much are shutting down almost all transportation. I think then suddenly it like, as it went on, the the Paris Metro joined. And then, you know, there's other sectors that joined. Um, I think, you know, maybe people saw on social media, there was like a really beautiful thing where the the like French ballet was joining in solidarity Mm -hmm. on strike. And then they were out in the, uh, you know, in some fucking like beautiful square in Paris, just like performing the ballet for the people. I couldn't watch that because I... I just I used to date the lead dancer in the French oh battle. Yeah, it's so it's just like it was pretty emotional for me to watch, but it was a beautiful scene besides that. Yeah. Okay. Well, the official number, like this is the other thing, is like the French government was like, ah, it was only like, you know, it wasn't that many people, but there were like at least 
250,000 people in the streets of Paris like every day. Mm-hmm. And fucking Macron's government, <laughs> they send 6,000 police officers to Paris alone to deal with these people in the streets. I mean, and, and once you actually look at the details of the pension plan, uh, or the, excuse me, the pension reforms, uh, they're pretty insulting because... Instead yeah. of taking, I think I think it used to be uh, where it would, if you were a private sector worker, it would take your twenty five best years and sort of I think either average that out or something like that. It would it would take it draw it from that. But I think now it just and I I could be wrong about this as I didn't look into it too much. But it just draws from like I think the past twenty five years in, in mm. general, which you know uh, I think for a lot no no it draws upon your entire career I believe. And uh, obviously, there are points in your career where you're probably making considerably less money than you would, you know, at your 25 best years. And so, you know, teachers especially saw that, uh, I think on average, they would lose 500 to 700 euros per month uh, of their pensions from that, which is astounding. Yeah, it was also like going to raise the retirement age two years, Mm -hmm. which is crazy. To 52. (laughs) No, to 64, actually. Yeah. But I, and I think, I mean, it was basically seen, I think rightly so, as an obvious move towards privatizing the entire pension program, which is clearly the goal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So these, these, the strike went through, uh, I think through the end of January. Um, and it was, you know, union workers were like cutting the power to Amazon warehouses and then just like Robin Hooding um, electricity back into poor people's homes, which was very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, just doing shit like that. The police, like we say, they're going insane. They're fucking firing point blank at protesters. More people are getting, you know, blinded. Limbs are flying everywhere. Mm-hmm. It, it's like a, it's just like a total disaster. Macron's approval ratings like fucking plummet. Yes. The strike is supported by like 60% of the French people, which is pretty insane. But it like doesn't do anything. <laughs> this is what's crazy. It's it, Macron. I mean, you can't you can't uh, bone the Macron, man. He just he's <laughs> I tell you, this guy is untouchable. <laughs> I mean, you know, we talked about the yellow vest a second earlier. I mean, we didn't actually talk about what the Yellow Vest accomplished. And I'll tell you what, not much. They got the gas tax repealed. And I think they got $100 per month, excuse me, 100 euro per month added to the minimum wage. Uh, But beyond that, not a whole lot. Dude, and that's like after two years. Yeah. Like, okay, so just to like, you know, I mentioned the 1995 strikes, right? That was less than a month. Gilles Jean went on for two years. These strikes, the largest in French history, these are larger than in 68, mm-hmm. right? Two months, or I mean, basically up until March, basically up until COVID, like they didn't, like Macron was just like, mm, disposes of them easily, mm-hmm. like not without a care. And he like, basically this, he imposes the pension cuts, just like overriding any like formal political process using this like constitutional article 493 mm-hmm. where he just like basically decrees the law without a vote in parliament God, king pimp well that's what he, they call him the sun king mm-hmm. which we'll get into um but it's like a pretty unprecedented i mean not un- totally unprecedented but it's you know a, a pretty uh noticeable shift in let's just say uh the political norms 
of yeah I, I mean in, in in France the the president is is more powerful than than sort of the head of state of other uh, other European countries and I think it, it's funny the biggest thing that Macron has really produced in opposition to him is I am sure many of you will remember all of the glowing editorials in in fact the endorsement from Obama about how this sort of sensible centrist was going up against the Nazi Le Pen um, mm-hmm. And, you know, not only was he, you know, the anti-Le Pen and this sort of urbane, urban intellectual guy who, you know, is going to bring this really fiscal responsibility, but social uh, liberalism to France. Uh, turns out that he's he's got a lot more in, in uh, well, he's got a lot more in common with Obama than people might think, but also a lot in common with Erdogan as well. I mean, mm. he is he is absolutely. I mean, that <laughs> he's is like the fusion of the two, which would be to the horror of the French people. Yeah, like we said. Yeah. Racist. Well, also double Muslim in that case. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he he is. I mean, Liz mentioned that he's the Sun King, and uh, yeah, he kind of is. Uh, unfortunately, Obama would be immediately arrested upon setting foot in France now, uh, because in the wake of a spate of terrorist attacks, including, I think, a couple beheadings in about a month period, most famously a French school teacher named Samuel Paté, Paté, I don't know how to pronounce it, uh, was beheaded by an 18-year-old Chechen refugee for, uh, for I think, either drawing or just showing a picture of the Prophet, a drawing of the Prophet Muhammad. Uh, there was a mass stabbing in Nice a couple of weeks later. One of the victims was beheaded. And then two weeks before Samuel Patty's murder, there was a mass stabbing outside of the Charlie Hebdo offices after they'd republished the original cover, which spurred the original attack on Charlie Hebdo. Of course, uh, I, I think people may not be super... I mean, I, I think everyone knows about these two incidents, but like there are a lot of minor incidents that have happened in France since these. Uh, but of course, the 2015 Bataclan massacre and the suicide bombings throughout Paris that happened that night and the 2016 Nice truck ramming uh, combined, yeah. which killed hundreds of people. Um, in, in, in France, I mean, we, we saw that with sort of the rise of Le Pen. There has always been... France has a strange relationship with its sort of status as a home of many immigrants. Uh, it, it is uh, it is a place that you cannot get extradited from a lot of the time, but it's also a place where you might get you know abducted and and, and killed. And France, uh, sort of in the wake of these of these recent sort of spate of attacks, there have been a a large push from Macron's uh, side, uh, and and they're putting forth an anti-separatism bill which sort of you know the to clarify the name of that a little bit they refer to a, a lot of what we would call jihadists as as islamic separatists and and it's sort of like what you, what you saw you know the sort of rhetoric around no-go zones in britain and, and this is sort of the refined version of that um they are now probing 76 mosques suspected of separatism they are going to make uh imam sign a uh a, I think it's like a, a charter of uh, secularism or like, you know, a declaration of, of intent mm-hmm. to adhere to, to, to French values. And, um, and they are putting, a, I think, a stop to or at least surveillance on uh, imams and, and, and preachers that are sent from abroad. Now, I will say they should probably stop them from coming from Saudi Arabia. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> but uh, but you know this you know this this you got to keep in mind this comes on the heels of of a lot of French measures for instance like banning the burkini and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this has caused a huge uproar in the uh, in the Islamic world and of course in France among civil rights groups because. You know, if we learn anything from uh, from American surveillance of Muslims here, uh, it will probably go a little further than just surveilling um, uh, a couple of radical mosques. Yeah. Also, Macron just basically did a huge flip flop on this because mm-hmm. when he ran, I mean, you mentioned the social liberalism, but he, I mean, there's so many quotes from him about being like, you know, we believe in multiculturalism. We are Western. You know, I mean, we'll get into this, but he was like Mr. EU universalism. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and so now he's like, I mean, it's pretty remarkable to watch over his presidency, just assuming. I mean, he was always the center right you know, on Marsh was always the center right in, you know, kind of European formulations. Uh, Americans would probably call them more like liberals or centrist liberals. But um, I mean, really assuming a right right wing stance on almost all domestic matters. It's it's pretty incredible to watch. I think like too, like he's gained almost all the support of like Sarkozy. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. You know, you see this sort of time and time again in European history. Uh, I, I recently sort of skimming through that book again, uh, The Beast Reawakens by I think the guy is Martin Lee. And he describes several instances where, uh, you know, these sort of far right parties uh, gain gain some sort of, you know, presence in parliament or at least, you know, presence on the streets. And the conservative parties or even the social democratic parties that are in power in various European countries sort of feel threatened by that. And so they steal the most um, attractive and easiest to steal parts of their platform. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, you know, Macron knows he's got an election coming up in 2022. And Le Pen, of course, is the is the anti-immigrant can- candidate. Uh, you know, her, her what, what's her fucking party called now? They changed the name uh, from Front National. Rally, rally national or something yeah national rally whatever it's it's something yeah it's something she, like yeah that. they they moved away from the national front um branding which is very i mean much to the chagrin of her grandfather yeah they've renamed themselves as screwdriver is the is, is the title now it's a sort of working man's reference um yeah so but but i mean she is the the the, the le pen sort of faction of the right wing has moved away from the social issues that they were sort of focused on for a few years they're the main advisor who was advising her to do that. Uh, I think he split and started his own party. She's back to being the anti-immigrant uh, candidate. And so he sees that they're basically tied in the polls. And if he can sort of steal some support from her by uh, by putting through these harsh measures uh, or even just stealing the rhetoric, uh, that I mean, that's a, that's a smart move on his part. But I think he's sincere. I think he's sincere, but also like, I mean, I think that, well, we should get into this because I think that Macron, like, you know, he's been accused of, like, Americanizing the French presidency. And when the left kind of, you know, slings that at him, what they mean is, like, really expanding executive powers Mm -hmm. while consolidating and limiting the role of parliament. And I see a lot of the, even the, like, um, secularist uh, speeches that he's been giving. And he just gave, like, a two-hour fucking interview, which is, like, pretty unprecedented he gave interviews to like american press which is very weird mm-hmm. um all his moves to like keep a hold on this like absolute power that it seems like he's very invested in right yeah. 
like uh, people throw this, or he's he's even said it right. This like Jupiterian vision, mm-hmm. where he he sees himself as this kind of, I mean, it's like basically like a weird neo Marx uh, monarchism. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you could say also Bonapartism. Mm. Well, not in the yeah. Marxist sense, but in the in the. Yeah. In the <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I mean, he really is like, I, I, I mean, I think part of Macron's weird appeal to some people is he was bringing the dignity back to the French presidency. Uh, French presidents have, are probably the least dignified presidents in the in the English speaking world. <laughs> well, especially the recent spat of them. My yeah. God. And by the way, I know people are like, you said English speaking world. I'm saying English speaking world because the French would get really mad about that because it's definitely not a French speaking world. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're always like cheating on their wives with hot chicks, mm. uh, but not in like a cool way, like having bugger bugger parties. And like, you know, I think it was, it was Holland or uh, yeah. Yeah. Who had a 4% approval rating when he was leaving office. Yeah. Which basically is like in the margin of error of 0%. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and Macron who had served in his cabinet, uh, you know, I think he recognized that basically French presidents were a hated laughing stock. And so he was like, well, I can tackle 50% of that. I can become less of a laughingstock and just hate it. Yeah, he like, so he has a weird background that, I mean, it's very, I just want to say like, when you're looking up like where he came from and kind of like this, you know, his like official biography, it's very well edited, we'll say. Mm -hmm. And everything about Macron is almost like, chillingly manicured yeah to the point that it kind of i mean if you listen to this show and i'll say as co-host of this show it raises me eyebrow and makes me put on my little tinfoil hat my little tinfoil chapeau Mm -hmm. um makes me put on my tinfoil burkini (laughs) it's just a little too pat Mm -hmm. um and so i you know i've been like looking into some stuff that's maybe a little more unofficial and this guy's got friends in high places, we'll say. Yeah. Um, it's very weird. He he actually failed the exam to go to Lake Normal twice, um, which is pretty sad. So he Sorry, like where? Lake Normal, which is like uh, the a big you know the big kind of like fancy university in Paris. They just call it normal. No, no. There's like a bunch of different ones, but you have to take this like very extensive exam to get in. Yeah. To get to the normal school. Oh, my God. So he enrolls in this college called Sciences Po, mm-hmm. which is the political science college. He had, like, no interest in political science, by the way. No, my man he, like, wanted... Major, he loved he literature. Philo- yeah, he was, like, a lit guy. He wanted a philosopher king, mm-hmm. like, all these fuckers. He was like, um, I shall uh, finally... You know, like, all French philosophers... He was dedicated to scientifically and philosophically overturning any age of consent law in France. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll get into that. Um, from there, he goes to the ENA, which is like the, I mean, it makes like Harvard look like, uh, like I don't know, community college in mm-hmm. terms of exclusivity. Like there, this is where like every single, I think almost every French president has gone there. Like, or the, like the last five French presidents have gone, have been graduates of there. Like, almost all, you know, ton of high level bureaucrats, diplomats, cabinet members, you name it. It's very exclusive bureaucrat school. 
Um, and like funny enough, he like shut it down in 2019. Well, he said he was going to. Yeah, he's. It's been like confirmed that they're going to, but we'll see. We'll see if it ends up happening. No um, more presidents for France is what that means. Yeah, because Macron will be the final president. Mm-hmm. He shut down the school to president pipeline. <laughs> so he like, what's weird is he starts working for Hollande, like you mentioned, in mm-hmm. 2006. And then he tries to run for a seat in the National Assembly, but his application is denied. Like, <sighs> Macron kind of, he has, like, kind of weird fail-son energy. He's, mm-hmm. like, has, like, revenge of the fail-son energy to him. Yeah, I mean... Very dangerous. Never trust a short man, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, how tall is Macron? I don't know. Not tall enough. Wait, hold on. No, this is actually really important. Sorry for the tip-tap and typing sounds. Macron height. Uh, I'm not... Oof. This is... Oh, he's five foot eight. Ooh. He is? How tall is Brigitte? Yeah. Brigitte, uh, there's not going to be. I, I, I guarantee I can't get numbers on she's her. She's taller. She's absolutely taller than Maybe she's mm, Actually, wait. I don't know. I don't know. She's just got a really big head. Yeah, she has big presence. And We'll get to her in a bit. Listeners will know that I have decreed that you actually aren't as tall as the top of your head. You're as tall as the bottom of your neck so that people with big-ass heads don't get a height advantage over guys mm. who have big brains but maybe normal-sized heads who are maybe already just five foot ten and aren't quite 6'2 yet, but some big-head guys think they're 6'2 even though they just got a fucking super face. I think that makes sense. Yeah. So he... His like I said, his application to become a, a you know member of parliament denied. <clears throat> He's offered a chance to become a deputy to fill on in 2010, but he declines, which probably was a good move. Mm-hmm. So instead, and this might remind our listeners of a man that this podcast is quite centered on. But instead, he's put up for a job at Rothschilds, which is a... Hold on. Can we get a moo, Young Chomsky? Sorry, Colin, our, Colin our, we, we, we're, we've reached a partnership deal with anti-Semitism cow, and so we're getting a moo here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you might, you guys might know, that's a huge fucking bank. Um, and we should say, Macron has absolutely no experience in banking. Like, zero. Well, he's and banking he- thoughts in philosophy school. only one Mm -hmm. um but yeah he has absolutely no experience in banking which is weird because he's painted as this like you know finance wizard yeah i mean that's his whole thing he's he's like a business guy he's gonna bring his like smarts to uh to the washington of france paris yeah so he's basically placed into this bank by powerful people and like i said a lot of stuff around macron's background is very shadowy and Uh it's equally shadowy are his friends in high places we it's really unclear and difficult to figure out like who these people are liz uh just a real quick question on the notes here why do you have a bunch of parentheses oh no no never mind let's just keep going it's terrible that's not true don't say that (laughs) no but he was basically placed at the bank in order to quote unquote drum up business and from what I understand, the the reason was is that he already had very powerful contacts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's unclear exactly where that was coming from um, or where he had made those contacts, but he did. Um, by the, so again, no experience banking, and yet he leaves four years later as the youngest partner 
ever at the bank after right. negotiating like a couple multi-billion dollar deals. This reminds me quite a lot of our friend Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein. That's what I'm saying. It's weird, right? Well, the weird thing is, well, there's also a pedophile in this story, but we'll we'll get to that shortly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's similar. It's so fucking similar. Like, and I mean, even like it translates even to his like political career like he totally shortcuts the traditional political path where i mean maybe because he was denied it mm -hmm. because he couldn't fucking become an, a member of parliament but like he he just like totally like usually french politicians you know they run for office in their hometown they like build up a constituency they work within the party then they become gov like you know it's like pretty standard i mean that's fare. how it works basically everywhere is you know you get a lower you know a, a sort of lower position in government you get a higher position in government then you try to leapfrog to even higher one yeah usually except for our man macron who just like you know he becomes chief of staff for holland mm -hmm. convinces holland to like roll back his um you know holland was going to pass all these taxes like you know wealth taxes basically convinces him to roll those back that's when Depardieu was like, I'm going to leave the country if this happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> um, and, you know, basically convinces Hollande also to introduce all these corporate tax cuts. And a lot of powerful people noticed um, because very soon after that, he's ready to go, unveils his a brand new party. Well, the, the thing about the party that's really, I, I, I read about this earlier, is that actually he formed the party while he was still working for Hollande. And Baller he, move. And, and, and our, our friend Francis, I'm sure, from the back of, a, uh, back of a motor scooter on his way to get some poontang, was like, Macron, my, my friend, are you starting a new political party? And Macron's like, no, nah, I'm like thinking it's going to be a think tank. <laughs> like, no, we Dude, just, he like, said that. Yeah, he yeah. He like absolutely said that in the press. And then, uh, and then like, and everyone's like, oh, but I think he's like going to run for president. And he's like... No, I would never I do that. I just am working for the good of France in my think yeah. tank. I would never betray you. Yeah. I would never. It's like how I'm always saying to you, I'm not starting a new podcast. Please. No, Liz, I'm not replacing you. I would never replace you with the girl from Call Her Daddy, who I'm also oh sleeping God. with. You just took my joke right I know. from well, under me. I, okay, well, the, my, the funny thing about my joke is, though, I am fucking replacing you with the girl from Call Her Daddy. Uh, Liz, you're fired. <laughs> okay, back to McGrode. So I do, I do want to say that, like, uh, he forms this party mm -hmm. on Marsh, which everyone should notice has the same initials as his fucking name <laughs> em not a coincidence absolutely not a horrible name very european political party name and it's in the like fucking like it's in that like signature type face yeah like I've, where it's supposed to look like a signature but it's like no we know it's not a signature it's on like every fucking card on yeah. Etsy. it's not a signature it's obviously a typeface well, why is it at every wedding well here's the fucking thing is what is up with these european political parties calling themselves like yes we can or like together we march and like it's such a bad fuck it's like the portuguese i think socialist party star is just like a chalk star and all of these left-wing parties across europe just use this horrible like type art fucking or type whatever pix art star it's just it's just god awful european sh europe should be a prison 
It's really awful. He so it's now called oh for people that don't know yeah on Mars mean in English means on the move. Mm-hmm. So lame. Now it's called Labor Republic on Mars, which means the Republic on the move. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they did that. But he basically, like, because he starts his own party, he has absolutely zero public financing, which is also, like, pretty unprecedented in French politics. Um, It's all privately funded. And he uses, um, you know, he uses all his finance contacts to finance, like, the entire run. And, you know, there's, like, donors, fundraising dinners. Like, this, to American listeners, like, this sounds, like, totally, you're like, yeah, that's fucking what Hillary Clinton does. Exactly. That's what every politician does. Well, you would be right, but not in France. This is like a very big, like, no, no. Um, you know, do you, I don't know if people remember, there was like that famous incident. Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it was like all the like Sarkozy guys like meeting at a dinner at this like really fancy Paris restaurant. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? And it was like all over the, there's like a photo of it and everyone was like, what the fuck? No, I don't remember that. All right. Well, it was like a thing. Anyway. Um, so, so all this like private money, um, is pretty, um, say it's a violation of French political norms. Yeah. Uh, so he's like, you know, he's running on, you know, staunch support of the EU, Mm -hmm. a new French defense central command, which is very weird. Well, he also, by the way, since becoming president has often, uh, agitated for a European army, which... (laughs) We will probably do a whole episode on that one day, but that is not an idea that your friend Brace Belden likes very much, unless it would break up NATO. <laughs> yeah, that's the only one. Accelerationist yeah. view. For- and then fight yeah. NATO. Yeah. <laughs> so he wants to establish a border police force. Mm-hmm. He wants he wants to pass all these labor law, quote, reforms, which I think everyone knows what that means. He just wants to make the labor market more dynamic, Liz. It's sclerotic. Yeah. It's, it's rotting. You know, it's French. He just, you know, he just wants to make it so that people get more jobs. By the way, a lot of the jobs that he did introduce because employment did fall are what they call in Britain zero hour contracts, where it's like you get hired for one day or a month. In fact, 90% of the jobs in most regions, I I don't know most, but in several regions were these sort of so-called like zero hour contract jobs where it's temp work. I mean, that's all it is. Or it's temp work or you're driving for whatever their equivalent of le door dash. Well, that might remind some people of what happened in America under Obama, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's it was something crazy, like um, you know, during the the you know the Great Recovery or whatever they fucking want to call it, um, something like eighty percent of all the new jobs created were in, like fucking like Uber, basically. I think that's still what's happening. Yeah. No, and it you know if that reminds you know. <laughs> Macron is very much like Obama, so much so that actually you mentioned this, but he endorsed Macron, Mm -hmm. which was like really, really insane. Um, Yeah. Like, I mean, he literally like endorsed Macron in a in a video on YouTube. I'm not planning to get involved in many elections now that I don't have to run for office again. But the French election is very important to the future of France and the values that we care so much about. Because the success of France matters to the entire world. I have admired the campaign that Emmanuel Macron has run. Yeah, I, I yeah, it's I, I watched it the other day. You know, it's I, I, I apparently my so- high level sources within the Obama caliphate have uh, alerted me to the fact that he actually was uh, 
loved Macron's idea of a giant border police force and was like, listen, we'll make the refugees. You guys deny the refugees. It's a great sort of, you know, symbiotic relationship that we can use in place of France's place in NATO. So I mentioned that his background has all this secrecy. Like, we don't really Mm -hmm. know who put him up to be a banker. We don't really know who hooked him up with the billionaires that were financing his campaign, like all this shit that's very secretive. But it's like even his presidency is very secretive. And again, similar to Obama in that they don't really allow the press much access. Mm -hmm. But like um, one of the papers in France, I think it's media part, has like done a bunch of investigations basically trying to figure out who (laughs) Macron's advisors are and what they do because it's really that opaque. Like literally there's there's people in this like uh, org chart that they've mapped out that don't have pictures because they can't find pictures of them. It's like as if these people don't exist, except they're real people. There's one that they've even named Mr. X because they can't figure out what his name is, but they know that he has a position and is responsible for like all this shit. Monsieur X. Yes, Monsieur X. But it's like, it's very weird. There's like one guy like that's 20, like 28 or 29 or something. Mm -hmm. And he like, reports to all these high level military guys he's it's cl- very clear that what they do is like domestic intelligence or surveillance but again none of this is cl- like is uh clear to anyone in France like no one really even knows what this kind of like but it's basically like a shadow cabinet does yeah i mean that that's his whole thing i mean recently well not super recently but within the past couple of years one of his advisors was actually arrested in what became known as the Benalla affair. So in May Day 2018, uh, there was, of course, in, you know, in France in May Day, in fact, most every single country except for the United States of America on May Day, there are large, you know, protests, rallies, yeah. occasionally riots. France gets real lit, though. They do. Yes, they, they, yeah. they love They get extra May Day. lit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, anyways, there was a, a a short clip of a bunch of riot cops uh, beating the shit out of a protester on the ground and really fucking up a woman. And and it's actually a it's a brutal clip to watch. And you can see that the male protester that they beat up is like staggering away. I mean, he looks mm-hmm. destroyed after yeah. they. I mean, they just descend on it. They don't even he's arrest just, like, him. Getting beat up in the head. I mean, he's like, yeah, I don't know if, how. Well, one of the, quote, cops beating him is actually not dressed exactly like the other police. I mean, he's wearing the riot helmet, he's got a nightstick, and he appears to have, like, I think an armband, but he's wearing, like, a hoodie, and he doesn't exactly, he's not dressed precise, I mean, he's just kind of like an undercover cop, but you can see his face pretty clearly, he's got, like, a mustache, you know, he's, he's a sort of olive-skinned, and, uh, and it comes out a few months later, I think in July, that Le Monde, one of the biggest newspapers in France, actually identifies a guy named Alexandre Benalli as the mm. uh, as the person in the riot helmet. Now, Alexandre Benalli is not a police officer, Liz. No, he's uh, not. He's he's actually Macron's personal bodyguard, uh, and not only personal bodyguard, but the so-called deputy chief of staff. Also, yeah. really unclear what he actually does. Uh, mm. You know, apparently Macron's team actually found out about this because this video went viral and people like, uh, you know, this was everywhere, you know, pretty much after it was shot. So Macron's team actually finds out about this the next day. 
And what they do is instead of firing this guy because he beat the shit out of a civilian on camera while dressed impersonating a police officer, uh, they suspend him for two weeks and uh, take dock him two weeks uh, vacation. So they actually keep paying him for those two weeks, but like he misses out on some yeah. vacation time. Well, you can't fuck your buddy. You know what I mean? Like you gotta, you gotta, you know. Well, Liz, I know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these people, you know, these left wingers in France claim to be in favor of strong labor protections. And then, yeah, you know, one guy does <laughs> you know, his job a little too well. Exactly. You know, he's at May Day even. What's so funny, too, is that you mentioned that they learned about it the next day. Like, the guy who shot the video didn't even know that this was Macron's security guard. Yeah. They, like, the thing is, is that, like, police violence videos in France, there's they're all over Twitter and like in social media because it's the only way to get out a lot of this, a mm -hmm. lot of what happens because the media won't report on it. The government won't acknowledge it, like quite literally won't acknowledge that it's yeah. happening. And so this video just like went viral and people were like, wait a second. I think that that is Macron's deputy chief of staff. Yeah. Like it wasn't like, it just like no one knew. Well, he was also with another on marsh activist named Vincent Crace, which is a great, I mean, that sounds like something of a detective novel for like a, a, a yeah, thug. Totally. Um, That's like a weird, like James Bond French villain. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's pronounced like Vincent Crassy or like it's actually Vincent Crassy. It's a no a little tribute it. to Liz there. Uh, no, but uh, he, it is, it is, you know, it, it quickly catches fire in France. And people are like, what the fuck? Why is this guy out on the street with the cops beating up people who are, you know, protesting in, in you know, in favor of their rights, but also against the government? Why is he out there with police, impersonating a police officer? Uh, so <laughs> Benalla actually reaches out to a high-level Paris cop and asks for tape of the beating, which he gets. Uh, in fact, the high-level Paris cop hands it over along with two other police officials who are also taken into custody afterwards. I mean, it becomes a huge scandal. And it turns out that Benali actually, he has a luxury car uh, provided by the government and he has police equipment on it and like a radio, a police radio and a fucking siren. And he has a Glock, which are not exactly super common in France. And uh, he has an apartment uh, paid for by the government. And if you sort of read between the lines here, there was a lot of rumors in France at the time that uh, Benali was actually sort of heading up a secret, well, mm -hmm. security uh, that was just at Macron's behest, right? Like it, right. it was, he was, he was doing this sort of parallel intelligence operation and he has a weird career too. I mean, he, this guy became, he offered his services. This is how it's described. He offered his services to, uh, the socialist party, uh, as a bodyguard, I think in, in the early two thousands. And then he, I, I think he gets, gets shuffled around from, from different politician to different politician. At one point he's involved in his first week of working for some, some minister in a hit and run, which he's the guy who hits and runs. Uh, and, and he's fired. And then he goes to Morocco rather mysteriously for, for a number of years to work in security there, which is, listen, if any Frenchman who works in security or, you know, if any, just let's do blanket Frenchman tells you that he's been in North Africa doing security work, uh, you should shoot him. And, uh, and so this guy, I mean, Macron will not comment on any of this at all. Mm -hmm. Like he very haughtily refuses to answer any questions about it. And they are, they, you know, the spokesman for the palace acts like the 15 day suspension was really harsh already. Finally, six days after the story breaks, he says, 
Alexandra Benali, Alexander Benali never held the nuclear codes. Alexander Benali never lived in a 300 square meter apartment. Alexander Benali was never my lover. Like kind of just fucking around <laughs> being like this guy, you know, you know, we, we didn't really do anything wrong. Um, but anyways, he was the uh, charge d'affaire uh, of Macron after that, which uh, mm. it's really mysterious on what this guy actually does. But it brings to mind uh, the relationship between former prime minister Antoine Pinay and his spy chief, Jean mm. Violet, who created a little group that Liz and I are part of called Le Cirque. Yeah, there was a couple people in Macron's orbit. I don't even know what to fucking call it. Shadow cabinet. I mean, I don't know. They all work at the palace, I guess. Secular um, cabal. Yeah. <laughs> that that resigned. There was like one, this one guy who looks like such a fucking douchebag. Um, Ismail Emeline. I don't know how to say his name. All but- of these guys look like they're about to give you like a training on sexual harassment at a, like an HR Zoom meeting. Dude, it, it they look like bloodless. It's like... If someone made an army out of Casper marketeers, mm-hmm. like there's something really militant about them, but they're all in like Warby Parker glasses. You yes, know what I mean? Yeah, it's like yeah, very yeah. weird. They make the Obama, like they're like the Obama boys, but like militant. They're like militants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's real freaky. Anyway, he was, he was implicated. I can't remember exactly why, but he was pretty like, uh, obviously implicated in the entire Benalla affair, mm-hmm. and um, so he and he resigned during it. Although he maintains that he ha- it, he didn't resign because of it. He just like he had other reasons, and he was mental like, health break. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'm gonna go publish a book, and he like published some new book on like the new wave of progressive grassroots parties that are gonna you know push back the populace or mm-hmm. some bullshit. This guy fucking sucks. So I mentioned, you know, we said he was like Epstein, Macron was like Epstein, and that it's like really difficult to get an accurate read uh, or like accurate account on, you know, the people that not just like work for him, but like the people that basically, I mean, I don't know how else to say it that he works for. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems that his entire political career has basically been totally orchestrated, produced, and financed by some of the wealthiest motherfuckers in france some of the wealthiest people in the world in some cases yeah absolutely i think it's very there's something that the french like the french left-wing press refer to them as the bosses which i think is like very cool that's that's, and i think that we should absolutely adopt like it's so it's totally true too it illustrates the relationship like jeff bezos is your boss he is the boss of america absolutely One of these guys, uh, I think Liz and I got a little too into researching and possibly derailed ourselves a little much from the rest of the episode, but it was there's a lot to get into with this guy, uh, is a guy named Xavier Neal, which again, Bond, uh, Bond type, not necessarily head villain, but like a henchman type name. Uh, yeah. This guy is a very French story, I would say. <laughs> yeah, He's, he is like one of the biggest bosses in france Mm -hmm. like he's definitely one of the most powerful um and wealthiest people in the country and apparently him and macron have been friends for years but you wouldn't it's very difficult to find information on all of that Mm -hmm. um 
just as it's very difficult to find any real information on Neil's background, he has scrubbed that shit. And like every article is an incredible hagiography. They like they they in every single press piece about him, they say, oh, they call him the French Steve Jobs. And it's mm-hmm. like no one calls him that. I don't think anyone calls him that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, well, they're calling him that. I, he's more like the mix between the French Harvey Weinstein and the French <laughs> Harvey Weinstein's brother, whose name I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, and it's like so fucking annoying because he adopts this posture of being like anti-establishment. Like mm-hmm. I'm not like I'm not like the other billionaires. I'm a cool billionaire. And yeah. It's like no, he fucking sucks. He's crazy. Well, I will say he is a little bit of a bad boy. Uh, this guy is actually on the board of. I was shocked to read this. On the board of the Voltaire Network, uh, which is uh, anybody who's researched 9-11 at all would recognize that name. Uh, They are a big uh, sort of force in in research of the parapolitical and uh, investigations into 9-11 and and into the French government. Yeah. I mean, he is like, just to be clear about what he actually does, though, is that he is like the head of and on the board of a like the biggest telecom companies in Mm -hmm. France. Um, And, you know, now he's also like co-owner recently of the influential paper Le Monde, which we've mentioned a couple of times, but really his, his money is all tied up in these telecom companies. And he's just like an oligarch. So he actually got his start in the same way that I did, which was enticing lonely men into chat rooms for fun and money. That's not true. You're right. Well, he it wasn't for fun. He he enticed them into it for money. So France had this thing called the <laughs> Minitel Network, which was, as best as I can describe it, a closed internet, like a French-only internet, where it, it was in an effort to appease... Uh, it was developed by, I think, the French government, and in an effort to appease newspapers, only newspapers could create websites, and only like a certain amount of... I mean, they're not websites, it's not the internet, but it's sort of like a closed internet. But only only media companies and newspapers could create pages that people could go to. So smart guys like our, our friend Neil here would just start a fake newspaper and then be able to make a website. And yeah. some of the most popular websites were sex websites. <laughs> yeah, he um, – they, I mean, these were called like Minotaur Rose pages, which or I found pink very cute. Minitel. The pink pages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the pink pages of actual newspapers. I, I think it's actually, Liz, I think it's actually sort of a reference to the color of vaginas. Oh my God, stop it. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, um, the most Wait, popular one was... will you read out was... what the most popular one Yes. Was? Oh. <laughs> 3615 comb. Now, comb actually is a French word for, uh, for semen. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, but no, there was there was a ton of innovations that were actually uh, basically because of Pink Minitels. They had a like these call center type uh, operations with a bunch of guys sitting behind computers or between Minitel consoles and pretending to be women. And the crazy thing about this, when I was reading, is that some guys would get so addicted to Pink Minitel that they would actually work their uh, debt off as one of the sex like uh, typers pretending to be a woman so these guys knew so that they, they knew they were that it yes. was all pretend but then they were so, dude that's so fucking crazy. it's so insane i mean it was the most by far profitable like industry on minitel i mean and he pioneered the use of bots that's which a real pyramid scheme oh yeah i mean so that's his sad. his neil's innovation was was basically creating these these like programs that would 
automated, uh, you know, try to entice guys into other chat rooms. I mean, it, it really, I think, comes from like telemarketing stuff. But uh, but yeah, I mean, he made a fortune and sort of just, and I think, sold his first company when he was like 19. And he really sort of built himself up from there. Yeah. Unfortunately, he also got arrested for prostitution or for pimping. Mm-hmm. Because basically what he did is he also like invested heavily in all these sex shops in Paris. <laughs> that he used the sex shops as a way to market i mean it was kind of you know smart i guess to market to new customers the the sex bot chat rooms because yeah, he was like yeah, oh yeah. these guys are coming into the sex shops we'll get them hooked on the chats you know a little one-two punch um but then it turns out oh oops a lot of prostitution happening in the uh sex shops well it's funny because minitel went off went off the air they finally they finally shut down minitel in 2012 and i'm just wondering if there was like an old french pensioner who had been carrying on like a minitel romance with a bot for like the past like a Aww. like an abandoned bot for 25 years and That's, uh yeah and he finally was like I, i'm gonna just jerk off one more time while being told how hot i sound well, you just ruined it. Yeah, well, he shouldn't have done that in the first place. He's getting scammed. I gotta say, uh, Neil looks like a classic French pig man. Mm-hmm. Awful. Big nose, big mm-hmm. face, just disgusting man. Um, apparently, he's also, I just want to mention this briefly, he's the co-owner to the rights of the Frank Sinatra song, My Way. And I encourage our listeners to look up the My Way murders and uh, <laughs> open your third eye with that. I'm serious. It's a difficult karaoke song, and many people have been killed because of it. The thing about him that's so crazy, though, I mean, I mentioned, you know, he's one of the most powerful guys in France. And it's not just that he owns a newspaper. It's not just that he's the head of telecoms. You know, for any other country, that would be enough. But in France, no, he's also married to Delphine Arnaud, who is the daughter and the heiress of Bernard Arnaud, who is, of course, the patriarch of the Arnaud family, which is the most powerful family in Europe. Um, for people that don't know, Bernard Arnaud is the head of LVMH, Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy. Um, and he is like always in constant battle with Jeff Bezos, a man you might know, for the title of wealthiest man in the world. Uh, so it's that level of wealth we're talking about. I will say those brands are way cooler than Amazon. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. But, uh, you know, Bernard, Bernard Arnault is, I mean, that's some serious fucking wealth. Um, I think it's like, it's valued at like 206 billion euros. Um, it just like recently acquired Tiffany in like a very controversial move. Mm-hmm. And with that, you know, the Arnault family owns like 47% of LVMH, which means that their wealth in total is about 97 billion euros. Jesus. Which is just like fucking crazy. Um, I think it's some, there's something nuts to where it's like if you compare like Arnault's wealth to that of a country, he has the same wealth as the country of Ecuador, mm. just him. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Bill Gates. So he's on that level for you like. You got the American beam listeners. on you, Lenin Marino. Yeah. So, so Neil is like married into this family and you know, these are just like two of the most powerful bosses in France. Um, you know, Arnaud also is like the biggest, you know, LVMH is like also the biggest advertiser in France. And mm-hmm. so he has a lot of sway with the papers because he can just constantly threat to pull advertising if he doesn't like any stories. And so negative stories about the Arnaud family or anything having to do with LVMH are very hard to come by in, in French media because of that. Well, it's a, I mean, everyone loves Moet, Champagne, <laughs> Louis Vuitton clothing, and Hennessy uh, drink. 
That's so not, what you can know, you say bad about them? I know that's like <laughs> exactly. the pimp brands right there. That's like that's like that's the that's where you get you go at the club and you have all three of those on you. Well, Macron has been good to his bosses because yes. after he passed those wealth tax reforms, uh, both these guys their wealth exploded. Actually, mm-hmm. Arnaud's wealth increased in the last year by twelve billion. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. In one year, yeah. So. I mean, it's like pretty this like tight circle, which is very um, like I keep saying, it's very opaque. It's difficult to get a read on. But these guys were handsomely rewarded by the politician they put up, Mm -hmm. you know, absolutely. They got what they wanted. They put this guy up. They financed it. And now because of these reforms that Macron passed, like and this like astronomical rise uh, in in wealth that Arnaud and the rest of these fucking bosses have, has, have seen, like this is where these protests are coming from in mm-hmm. France. It's like this is the long story I guess we're trying to wrap up and tell here that like over the course of Macron's entire presidency from, you know, the gilets jaunes through the pension strikes, you know, all the guys getting blinded, um, you know, like you see these like kids in high school protests, like getting fucking dragged by their neck and like humiliated by the police. It's just really, I mean, fucking people are dying, you know, it's yeah. awful, but it's like all comes back to these guys and this money that propped up this fucking, I mean, he's basically like a, sh- it's like what, what we were talking about earlier and it's like a shell company of a political movement. Yeah. I, I don't think we said this during the podcast, but yeah, like Republic on March is like, it's like a fake political party in a way. I mean, it has eight. I mean, if you look at the numbers, uh, you know, that they have in, 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 you know, both of the French houses, it is, I mean, they are in the vast, vast majority. I mean, they have the most MPs elected, but it's like really, I mean, the, the, the party is ruled by this sort of small uh, group of, of unofficial, you might say, advisors to, to Macron. And, and, you know, it exactly, it is. I mean, they've got this, the party is absolutely nothing without Macron. I mean, it yeah. wouldn't exist. Yeah, which is why, I mean, he's doing everything he can to hang on, maintain, and expand his power. Absolutely, yeah. And it's just for these assholes. It's all for them, for his bosses. He's pretty unpopular right now. I think Le Pen is also pretty unpopular right now. And so we'll see what happens in 2022. I didn't mention this, but one thing I do want to mention really quickly is that um, ne- Xavier Neal, or however you say his name, he actually made uh, Brigitte and Macron like a thing in the papers. And this is really funny. So this woman named Mimi Marchand, mm-hmm. fucking fantastic name. She um, was introduced to Brigitte by Neil and basically contracted to craft the entire image of the couple so the like you know for those not in france uh brigitte macron and emmanuel macron are like 
a fucking they're like the darling of the gossip pages and the society pages and mm-hmm. the little and the tabloids and they have been for a long time and this was all like an extensive propaganda effort by this woman Mimi Marchand hired by Xavier Neal well i think um, a lot of people thought that macron being married to a significantly insanely very much by many decades older woman would be a problem for him uh, but and then you know all these sort of pundits were like, oh, well, wow, it, it actually turned out to be okay. People like Brigitte and like, oh, yeah, they do. That there's a reason for that. It's because they were there was a campaign to make them like Brigitte. Yeah, I mean, this fucking started in like, I mean, from all that you know, people can figure out, like as far back as 2014, which is much earlier than we'll say Macron's uh, political career started. Um, this woman, by the way, is like responsible for the celebrification of French politics. And there's like, she bought the, like one of the biggest French paparazzi agencies and totally just like broke this like longstanding rule that politicians would be covered like as they are in, I mean, basically like the British tabloids Mm -hmm. covers the royal family. And so she starts publishing like all these photos of like, you know, Sarkozy out on dates and having affairs and like, politicians sunbathing topless and all this shit um so she's like responsible for all of that and so she gets hired and she just starts like spamming every society page with like pictures of brigitte macron and so it's like very like who's this woman where's she coming from who's this hot couple oh he's in finance oh he's a banker oh look she's all in louis vuitton now how is she all in louis vuitton oh get this brigitte was actually the french teacher for two of Bernard Arnault's sons. Yeah, I mean, she is not just the French teacher for Arnault's sons, but she was the drama teacher of one Emmanuel Macron. I have been doing extensive research on this woman for the past week. In fact, for the past several years. Brigitte Macron, well, let's just do a comparison real quick of birthdays. Uh... Emmanuel Macron was born in the year 1977. His wife, Brigitte Macron, was born during the Fourth Republic, by the way, uh, in the year 1953. So there is a large age gap there because, well, let's, let's just go back to the sands of time, back to high school. You know, everyone had such a great time in high school. And, and I think, you know, one of the big things about high school is you're like, man, man, I'm really, I'm really hot for teacher, which is where that Van Halen song came from. Hot for teacher. I'm hot for teacher. I really want to have sex with my elderly teacher. Well, Emmanuel Macron, unlike the rest of you losers, actually followed through with it. He was uh, a student at a Catholic high school, which don't read into that at all. I mean, there's absolutely – this high school being Catholic has absolutely nothing to do with what happened next. And, you know, this woman, uh, Brigitte Trogneau at the time – I have no idea how to pronounce this. It's T-R-O-G-N-E-U-X. So I'm just going to say Trogneau. Uh She's teaching at this high school, and her daughter comes home from school one day and says, man, I just met this really cool guy named Emmanuel Macron, and he's so smart, and he knows about everything. And Brigitte is like, I will talk that away in the back uh, portion of my mind reserved for pedophilia. And you know, she goes on, and about a year later, she's teaching a drama class, and this 
brilliant young actor, Emmanuel, comes to her, and he's playing the lead in the play Jacques and His Master by Milan Kundera, which I'll pretend I've read, and I'll pretend is about a young schoolboy having sex with a very much extremely older woman. Uh, I have read some places that he met her at 15, but a recent book came out that has the age at 14, which, by the way, would make their relationship violate articles 227 through 225 of the French Penal Code, which reads, the fact by an adult to exercise without violence, constraint, threat, or surprise a sexual attack on the person of a minor of 15 years is punishable with five years of imprisonment and a 75,000 euro fine. I've read other places, it's a 100,000 euro fine. Anyways, she could possibly be prosecuted under this. Uh, I'm not sure what the, the statute, you know, the uh, statute of limitations is there in France, but if she can be punished for this, please email me and let me know. Anyways, they start meeting after school every day to rewrite another play to expand it further to make it have more roles so other people in the drama class can join in. And of course, one thing leads to another. I'm sure they were both gripping the, the quill at the same time, and their heads touch, and they start kissing. And they began having a love affair. Now, of course, Brigitte is married with three children, including one, as I mentioned, in Emmanuel's class. In fact, she's married to a successful banker. Like, she has a great life. She is, by the way... 25 years older than Macron. And again, I remind you that Macron was 15 years old. Liz, I'm not a numbers guy. What's 25 plus 15? So she's 40? Correct mundo, baby. She is 40 fucking years old while she's having Dude. sex with a 15-year-old. Dude, that's crazy. That's crazy. I'm, I mean, you know, I don't, I'm way younger than that. And imagine like looking at a 15-year-old and being like, into it that's disgusting dude no imagine looking at someone 25 years younger than you and being into yeah. it uh that is yeah not happening but anyways i mean brigitte macron is a pedophile in fact she is the highest ranking known pedophile on the world stage right now uh, you know so their love affair starts and uh, <laughs> emmanuel immediately announces it to the world he's like i am uh fucking and sucking and loving this 40 year old woman who is also my teacher her husband is like are you having sex with a fucking 15 year old who's in our daughter's class at the catholic high school and uh brigitte's like we oui, uh i am and so the husband's like what the fuck is wrong with you? And leaves town and never comes back. Not even for his own mother's funeral. No a, way, really? Yes, yes. It's a small town, too, and everybody knows about it. I mean... Well, the entire world knows about it now, too. True, true. <laughs> and by the way, before you get your fucking knickers in a twist, young, or no, excuse me, your, your what do French people wear? Uh, your stripy shirt in a, in a twist and yell at me. Brigitte Macron has, I read in one place, described as like a young Brigitte Bardot. She does not look like young Brigitte Bardot when she was younger. Oh. She does she look like... She looks like an old Brigitte Bardot. I was about to say, she does look like an older Brigitte Bardot. No, actually, no, she looks like an old British actress playing old Brigitte Bardot. Perfect, yes. In a TV miniseries. She is one of the most simian people I've ever seen in my life. I mean, she, she looks like the mother cute. of the hot girl ape in Planet of the Apes, like the doctor ape. I mean, can you, I mean, Carla Bruni to do, that. Could you, know you what I'm saying? imagine? Like, do they, I mean, so here's the thing. So his parents meet with her and they're like, please stop fucking our son. 
until he's 18, which is like, they don't press charges. They don't call the police. They're like, please stop having Jeffrey Epstein style pedophile sex with our son. Yeah. Well, not even, not, not, not actually. Cause I, Emmanuel was very much into it. Uh, and, but she's like, no, I can't make any promises. Like that's Did literally they send a send him to a different school. Yeah. They're like, you gotta to, like, get the get fuck out of here. Just stop fucking this insanely old lady in relative to you. Uh, and, uh, over the summer, they'd meet at the pool because you know his, he no. would go back to town, and he would be hiding in the bushes, and she'd come and meet him. Insane. So uh, How? I mean, it is pretty remarkable that they've managed to spin any of this as romantic. It is just incredible. Well, here's the thing: I don't think Macron fucked any other girls besides. Okay, so her. okay, I want to talk about this mm-hmm. because what happens is. He, they end up getting married, right? Oh, yeah. At the ages, like, by the way, he was 29 and she was 54 years old when okay, they got so married. Om- like a little over 10 years later. Mm-hmm. So I have some questions here. What? Ask me one. Okay. So 29, mm-hmm. he is figuring out his career, mm-hmm. figuring out moves to his career, of his career. Mm-hmm. Do you think that in those 10 years, he's just hope- He's just like hopelessly obsessed with this woman in love. Oh, my God. Or do you believe this was a career move? Uh, well, so there are a lot of rumors which have been said to hurt Brigitte greatly that uh, Emmanuel Macron is le gay and having mm-hmm. le gay sex with mm-hmm. uh, the head of Radio France. It's actually like a big Who's rumor. That? Uh, I looked him up. I thought it was a woman when I first read the article because it didn't mention he was a guy. And then I looked him up. I'm like, oh, it's a guy. And then I uncovered there's a lot of gay rumors. Oh, yeah. There's all photos of him. It's all side-by-side photos of him and Macron. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He's very handsome. Yeah. Chiseled. I I personally don't think Macron is having sex very often. Mm. Um, I mean, with his very gilf wife or with anybody else. But uh, but it is it is an interesting thing to consider. Uh, one thing that I found was really weird is she married Macron in 2009 at a church in a small town. It is the same church where she'd married her previous husband in 1974. Insane. And like, I want to be clear here. I think it's really wrong to it's, do that at the same church. It's not. You know what I think is wrong? To have sex with a child. <laughs> Um, and no, I, you know, mean, I agree with that too. But I'm just saying, you know, when you're an adult woman, and yeah, dude, like that That's feels like twisting up. the knife. There's something wrong. I mean, to both parties, to the ex-husband, but also denying Emmanuel, like you know, a wedding that's his own that he owns it's like why are you doing this on the side of the pr- first wedding well it's not right i mean i can imagine dating a woman 25 years older than you she is probably making quite a lot of those decisions um mm. the other thing is if you've ever seen pictures of emmanuel macron and his family including his daughter which is the same age as him uh it literally looks like he's just married to his his daughter in this because they are the same age and kind of like the same amount of attractiveness and uh, you know it's and instead he's actually just married to this insane looking pedophile this mm. this this ape like uh, a file and yeah it's 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 insane but I will say in regards to the age of consent there is a famous quote from. 
uh, from one Karl Marx who says, the philosophers have only interpreted the world in various ways. The point is to change it. And, and I think that really like rings true with Macron because Macron went to school for philosophy and he understands that he comes from a long tradition of French uh, philosophers who are really concerned with the question of the age of consent. And he says, well, all of these guys that so they've talked about it, maybe they've signed a few petitions. I will single-handedly marry a very older woman in violation of all of those societal norms. And I will make France le pedophile society. In fact, you should reverse those words because French people always do that, like society le pedophile. Ephibophilia on March. Mm -hmm. All right, well, we went way long. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm Look, saying. You get two episodes. I know, but it's fun. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I are people really, still listening, do you think? Uh, no, people are definitely not listening anymore. Are you kidding me? <laughs> they, they tuned out like hour one. We're in like hour oh, four now. Oh, man. All right. Well, well let's... Uh, if you let's, are still listening, I'm Liz. My name is the Rothschild that gave uh, Emmanuel Macron a job at my bank. And we are joined by producer Young Chomsky. And we will see you next time. Bye bye. bye, -bye. <laughs>